Uh, last week, um, we f- started this series on all things new. If you haven't, uh, um, if you weren't here, I encourage you to go online and watch the message. I don't always say that, um, but, but this message truly builds on each other, and so I encourage you to go back and, and watch it. But uh, I'm really excited, and um, what I want to say is that this week is on freedom. Next week, uh, I'm excited as well because next week is specific that it's going to be how to, to um, read and, and use the Old Testament seeing through the redemptive lens of the cross. Because last week and this week, um, it, it could appear like we're kind of dogging on the Old Testament as if it's like, nah, that's old right? Like, let's just stick to the New Testament. And the truth is, this entire Bible is not only inspired by God, but it is living and active, right? It speaks to us. And when you take some time allowing the Holy Spirit to use this Word of God that's living to speak to you, it will. And so it's important that we understand that, but that we know how to view and to read and to use the Old Testament. Um, And so that's next week's message. So if you feel like this week, you're like, oh, you know, we're talking about the Old Testament a lot. and It seems kind of negative. Next week, it's going to be viewed in this beautiful light in context of this redemptive lens that we use to view the Old Testament. Lamont, you know what I'm talking about. Come on. That brother loves his word. What's that? Lamont was there. He was there. Lamont's going to be preaching again here in a little bit. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Um, but part of this, this whole concept was started when you got your first Bible. Uh, because when we, and I mentioned this last week, and, and I'm going to recap a little bit this week from last week. A lot of us, when we got our first Bible, we were told the same thing. This is God's Word. It's all true. Read it and do what it says. And, you know, it's kind of like handing somebody a handgun and saying, hey, just, just you know, Make sure that the nozzle is pointing out when you shoot. It's like, okay, well, that's good. That's, that's going to be helpful for you not to shoot yourself, but don't just, don't just go with that. You need a little more instruction, otherwise that, that weapon is going to be uh, destructive. And so, so it is with our Bible. I want us to be able to dig into this thing, um, point it in the right direction, so that we land in a place uh, that's life-giving. And this is important because of this idea that we, that we said last week is that, um, that, that, that this miss, mission, the first slide, is that we are, we are about reclaiming those who have lost faith unnecessarily. That people have lost faith. And here's the thing. There's a whole new generation out there that isn't just going to go with, this is all true, do what it says, and all the places that it contradicts each other, don't worry about that, because it's all true. Just read it. We're good, right? We're good? Well, there's a new generation that has this little thing called the internet. And so they know things that you and I didn't know 30 years ago, right? And they have bloggers and YouTubers that are, that are picking this thing apart. Not because it's not true, Not because it's not inspired, but because they know how to pull on this string and pull on this string and pull on this string. And if you don't understand the concept and the the context of this Bible, then it seemingly falls apart and the next generation goes, see, it's not true because of this and because of this and because of this. 
And so because of that, I'm walking away from faith. This is a new age, and I promise you, this is where this new generation is at. And so if we can't hand off the baton in a way that's palatable, in a way that's, that, we, that understands it more than just, you know what, all that stuff in there that doesn't make sense, all that stuff in there that seems like it contradicts, don't worry about it. Let's just move on with, it's all good and Jesus loves you. Maybe that was good for you when you were 15 or when you were 12. But this new generation, not going to fly. We ready? You fired up? (laughs) Hebrews chapter 8, verse 7 and 13. Uh, We're going to set this as the context for, um, for where we've been and where we're going. It says, if the first covenant, what is outlined in your Old Testament, the, the law of Moses, the first covenant had been faultless, there would be no need for a second covenant to replace it. But when God found fault, he said, the day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with my people. Next slide. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors. I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. Stay on the slide for a minute. I love this because it's speaking of the new commandment. You remember the old commandment? Where was it written? It wasn't written on our hearts. It started with the Ten Commandments on the tablets, right? And then the law of Moses that was written down and they had to look at it and they had to study it and they had to understand these are the 600 laws starting with Moses on Mount Sinai where God came down and wrote it on tablets. This is the law. You must follow it. And he's saying that there is a, there is a new covenant coming. By the way, this is a prophecy from Jeremiah. Right? This is Paul or, who, or the writer of Hebrews and he's speaking of a prophecy hundreds of years ago from Jeremiah, and he's saying that there was an old covenant and God found fault in it. He made a new covenant in this new covenant. I'm going to write it on their hearts. We're going to get back to that. Next one. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord, for everyone will know me already. This speaks to you don't need a mediator. You don't need somebody to go and talk to God and then come back down to you and speak to you. That's the old covenant. That's what Moses did, and that's what the prophets did. They spoke to God. That's Noah's, right, right, Jonah. You guys know the story of Jonah. Jonah was a prophet, and God, hey, gave a message to Jonah and said, I need you to go to Nineveh. And he's like, no way. Those people are horrible. And he's like, I want you to go to Nineveh. He goes out, gets swallowed by a whale, gets spit out. He's like, okay, I'll go to Nineveh. So then he goes and he gives the word of the Lord. That's what they did in the Old Testament. In this new covenant, he's saying, you don't need that. That's not what I'm doing here. I don't go away and hear from God and then come to you and say, thus saith the Lord, as if to say, you can't hear from him on your own. No, you can. In fact, the Bible talks about me. This is important. The Bible talks about me and my role is that I am the, to the equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's my role, to equip the saints, you, for the work of your ministry. You know what equipping is? I always thought it used to be like, like a tool belt where you're, like, you're going to need a hammer and you're going to need a measuring tape and all those things. That's not what it means. Equipping is literally taking a bone that's broken and setting it. 
so that there's blood flow. Helping you in areas where you're like, ah, that's just off. It's a little, like, I, I can't seem to break through some of that. And those of us who are in this role can come alongside you and go, hey, let me, let me help you with just kind of making something work properly and in alignment with Scripture. And then the, 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 the blood of Jesus can flow and you can have life and go do your ministry. My role is not to hear from God for you. This is a beautiful day. This is really good News. Anybody with me? So, going back to this awesome meeting in, um, in Jerusalem. Now, you have to understand that, like, on this topic, there's like a hundred scriptures or more that are awesome that I could have put in this message that I left out. So, uh, you know, every week I feel like somebody's like, hey, here's another scripture that you could have used. I had like 10 pages of awesome notes that didn't make the cut because this topic is so big. And man, I love the research and I love the way that you guys love the word and dig into that stuff. I only get 30 minutes. So I'm going to give you what I got. And, uh, and I believe that God's going to speak. But we're going to go back to this meeting in Jerusalem. If you weren't here last week, there's this idea that like this, this meeting in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15, 20 years after the resurrection, defined the church, defined how we view the Bible, defined how we view the Old Testament, defined how we view the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And Paul was up north and he was rocking and he was, you know, revival was happening and they're like, nah, you gotta, that, that's, that doesn't work for us. You gotta, you gotta, they gotta follow the law of Moses. So he's like, all right, I'm gonna come back to Jerusalem. Here they are. And so in the middle of this, this deal, remember Peter stands up and Peter goes, guys, you remember that I had this epic meeting and I had this epic encounter, this, this, this vision and, uh, and God showed me. And then I went to Cornelius's house and, and, and God said, don't, don't make things unclean and impure that I have made clean. And so again, as a recap, make no mistake, that's not what the Old Testament teaches. Acts chapter 15, verse 8. This is, this is important. Acts chapter 15, verse 8. Throw it up there. God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit to them just as he did us. So this is, this is Peter standing up and saying, listen, this was my experience at Cornelius' house. God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them. So in other words, God goes beyond behavior. You ever heard me teach that? That God is not going after behavior. He's going after an inward transformation and an outward work. And so he's not looking at behavior. And Peter, 15 years after the resurrection, just got it. Wait a minute. God looks at the heart. Whoa, mind-blowing. That was not what the Old Testament taught. God looks at the heart. Now, it is impossible for us to comprehend the massive shift that w what came next, just as he did us. When he made that statement, everyone in the room was like, <gasps> what did you just say? You're putting us in the same category as them? The Gentiles? No, not on our watch. We are not like them. You need to understand that the Old Testament was specific. God loves Jews more than everybody else. He just did. That is the Old Testament teaching. 
And, and it makes sense why when you read Psalm, again, hopefully this is going to connect some dots in regards to how we view our Bible. So have you ever read Psalms and you're like, hearing King David and he's just like this beautiful poetry and like God is good and he's amazing and God is exalted and I love God and then all of a sudden he's like and God I need you to kill my enemies I need to smite them kill their crops kill their wife and their kids because they are all bad and you get the glory God right and you're like wow like do you forget to take your medication like David's a little bipolar Right? It's like God is good, God is love, and then, man, you're really, uh, really going for it. But see, this represents the old covenant, right? And these are the things that we, you guys, if, we, if you grew up in, in church and you just grew up reading your Bible, you're just like, okay, David was out on a bad day. It's fine. I have bad days too. We'll, we'll move on. I don't say that about my enemies, but I, you know, I say other things. And so we move on. But there are people out there, especially the, 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 the younger generation, that's just like, if that's who God is, like David's the man after God's own heart and that's how he feels about his enemies, like who is this God? You have to understand that that is old covenant. God has never changed, but our relationship with him has because he's done something new in the world. So this was a bombshell. Just as he did us, he's lumping us in his category. So then Peter drops another bombshell in um, Acts chapter uh, 15, verse 11. He says this, We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Here's why this was crazy. Because up until this point, the Jews were arguing about the Gentiles moving in their direction. You guys need to be more like us. You need to be more holy. You need to be holy like us. And therefore, you need to get circumcised. You need to do all these rules and regulations because we're awesome. And so I guess we'll accept you and I guess you can be awesome like us. So here's what you're going to have to do to be awesome. Pause. Let's not pretend that that doesn't at times seep into the church. We love you. We accept you. Now here are the ways that you can behave to be awesome like us. Drop the mic. Here's what he was saying. Throw it up there. We, Jesus-following Jews, must move in their direction and stop expecting them to move in Ours. Now, he wasn't saying that we have to start sinning and go be pagans. He was saying, listen, we're stuck, not them. And that's, and that's kind of the beautiful reality, is that you look at the, the Christians in Antioch that were getting saved, and they were getting saved by raw gospel. And, like, have you ever gone to a job, and, and, and you know more than, you, than, than is helpful? And so the, 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 um, the, um, you know, the instructor or the supervisor is like, you're going to have to unlearn some things because we don't do it like that anymore. And so maybe you've been in the industry a really long time, but the way that you learned all of this stuff is not helpful. And so now you're going to have to unlearn it. Or if you start golfing and you don't get an instructor and you learn really bad habits and then you go and get and you learn good habits, and you're like, shoot, I have to unlearn so much. This group of people is having to unlearn so much where the New believers in Antioch, they're like, 
I guess I'm just going to take Jesus at his word. He's awesome. He saved me. And so the Jews were having to unlearn. They got to move in their direction. And so suddenly for the disciples, it was making sense when Jesus went to Zacchaeus, the wee little man up in the tree, right? And he's just like this total sinner. And Jesus is like, I'm going to come to your house. You don't have to come to the synagogue. You don't have to dress really nice. I'm actually going to come to your house. Then he comes to the the woman at the well. I'm coming to your well in Samaria, the place that no one would go. I'm coming to you. I'm going to love you where you are at. And then then the the prodigal son, where the father runs to the son. And I believe in this moment, the disciples were like, whoa, Jesus was modeling something. He was saying something all along. We must move in their direction. It is a beautiful Thing. Are you with me? Are you with me? Okay. So um, the next thing that happens is that James stands up and he gives the verdict, right? There's just been this dispute, this argument. Peter's like, no, you guys, seriously, we're on, we're on, we're on to something here. And then, and then James, the brother of Jesus, by the way, if, if anyone should have a dispute about if Jesus was the son of God, it's James. How, what would your brother need to do to convince you that he is the Messiah, the Savior of the world, right? If anyone's like, no, like he used to beat me up. There's no way he's the Messiah, right? James, the brother of Jesus, they grew up together. And he's the guy after the resurrection, he's like, my brother was actually the Messiah. Yeah. That stands to to say something, if you have any doubts about who Jesus is. The brother of James says, no, my brother's actually who he said he was. So he stands and he he says in Acts chapter 15, verse 19, it'll be up on the screen. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. And everyone's like, okay, all right, we're going to get behind this. And Paul's like, yes, right? And then what he says next, I'm going to unpack for the next 10 minutes because it's so controversial and so confusing that no one talks about it. I've literally like heard almost no sermons on it because it makes absolute no sense. It's nonsense to you and I. This is James, his response to, okay, we're going to accept them, the new revival that's happening, but here's what we're going to tell them. Here's the letter we're going to send. And we're going to send people with them. This is what they need to do. Instead, verse 20, we should write to them telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from the meat strangled, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. So leave that up there. Yeah, that's going to solve the problem. There's this huge debate. The Jews are saying they should follow all 600 laws of Moses. And James stands up and says, well, let's take three laws. Let's see. Yeah, we're going to do the food. That's a good one. What else would be good? Um, you know, sex. Sex is always a, a you know, popular topic. Anytime I preach on sex, everyone comes. So let's do that one. And then, uh, and then meat, right? 
because this whole strangled animals thing in the blood is weird, and so we're going to go with that. And so let's, let's give them three laws that they have to follow and tell them, away with you, go serve Jesus. What? It makes no sense. You know who, do, who, does, who else it doesn't make sense to? The next generation. The ones that are losing faith. We need to make sense of this. And why these laws? Why not... Um, Thou shalt not steal. Yeah, that's a good one. And then murder. Definitely not a good one. So thou shalt not murder. And then something about uh, immorality. Yeah, no adultery. Don't commit adultery. Let's give them these three. No, it was food, idols, and sex. Makes no sense. And no rock and roll, of course. No drums on the stage either. And caffeine is out. Acts chapter 15, verse 21 connects it. This is what, this is what uh, James says. For the law of Moses has been taught in all the synagogues since the earliest time. This preached in every city from the earliest time and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. The law of Moses. Do you know who was in the synagogues up in, in Antioch? James was saying in, in Antioch, in the city, this pagan city, there's synagogues and and. Every week, the law of Moses was teached. Do you know who was in these synagogues? Jews. Jews. Do you know who, who wasn't in these synagogues? <laughs> Gentiles. They were not allowed in these synagogues, nor would they want to go, right? It's like, we don't want to hear about the law of Moses. We get it. We're, uh, that's not for us. And so James was saying, here's the deal. I need you to obey a couple of different laws. Why? Because the Jews up there, they've been, they've been learning about this law for their whole entire life. And so I need you to make a concession for your brothers. Why? Because we want to have one church and not two. James was fighting for the same thing that we are fighting for. James was saying, we're going to have one church and not two. And so the, uh, the Jews were like, listen, I know that Peter had this vision about animals, and I know that I should be able to eat shrimp, but there's just no way I can't do it. I know you like your, you know, prime rib, like medium rare, where there's like the blood's kind of oozing out, but this, I can't do it. There's no way in this lifetime I am ever going to be able to eat that bacon. Come on, bacon sandwiches. I mean, they're so good, Lamont. But, but the Jewish people were just like, there's just, like, I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. So about you, but I, I just, I can't do it. And so James was saying, listen, we need to contend for one church. And so I need you to make concessions on both sides so that we can meet in the middle and lay aside our preferences. This was a beautiful thing because it's still what we're doing today. We are laying aside our preferences for the sake of the gospel and saying, listen, I'm not going to die on the bacon hill. I'm going to die on the Jesus hill. And so let's come together and say, yes, we can do this. So this was why those imperatives had nothing to do with the law of Moses. Zero. And that's the point that those imperatives had absolutely nothing to do with the law of Moses. So he goes on. So he says, okay, um, and abstain from sexual immorality um, because that's a really big one. Okay, so 
if we like passed around a three by five card and everyone wrote on there, what does this mean? We would have as many different answers as people in this room. How do you stay away from sexual immorality? Right? We'd all be writing our answers and they'd all be true. Right? These are all the things that you probably shouldn't do that are not helpful for all kinds of different reasons. You have to understand that James was saying, tell these pagans up north who absolutely have no morality teaching. In the, in the pagan world, the gods could care less how you treat one another. I mean, they were asking you to make baby sacrifices. They, the, there was no human value to the pagan gods. And so James was saying to these pagans, hey, um, and sexual immorality. Yeah, that's not a, that, that's not a good one. So let's, let's make sure you're, you, you're sexually moral. They would be like, what are you talking about? James was referencing the fact that Paul had been there for two years. And you know what Paul had been doing? Teaching on sexual immorality. Don't miss this because this is just so big. This is so big for you and I. Do you know the reference point for Paul uh, teaching on sexual immorality? Do you think it was the Old Testament law? Who has a lot to say about sexual immorality? No, because they didn't even have the law up there. The, the, the people in Antioch, they had no idea what the law was. Paul pointed them directly to the teachings of Jesus, who had a ton to say about how we treat one another. And guys, this is so freeing, and this is so big, and we have to get this, because we get this wrong so much. Listen to this. Here's, here's what, what the Apostle Paul uh, connected it to, that you are to treat others as God through Christ treats you. This is what Paul would say. As it relates to sexual immorality, as it relates to how you treat people, this is what I want you to connect the whole thing to. Treat others as Christ treated you. So he would say things like, in your relationships with others, um, have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. Any questions? No, that, uh, that about sums it up. And he would go to another group of people who have no concept. See, it's hard for you and I to relate with this because we grew up with the Bible. We grew up in America, right? The land of the free where every person has dignity and value. But, but these people in Antioch, that's not the case. Their, their teaching as they grew up was that there isn't a lot of value placed on human beings because the pagan gods put no value on human beings. And so Paul had a big task. Paul was going into to people who, who who's had a blank slate as it relates to how you treat people. But Paul didn't go back to the Old Testament in all of the laws and the ways that you're supposed to treat people. He just simply said, Jesus has saved you. And he only said this to saved people, by the way. He didn't expect pagans to act like Christians. But he said to those people who have received Christ and received love and received grace, he said, you know what? The way that Jesus has treated you, yeah, treat other people that way. Okay, yeah, that, that answers a lot of questions, actually. He'd say things like this. In your relationships with one another, as it relates to sexual immorality, in your relationship with one another, remember your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so is hers, and so is his. Any questions? 
Well, that, that pretty much fills in all our blanks. This was an extraordinary day. This was a game changer. Because you're talking about a civilization where all they knew was, let's, let's find what the, what the rule says about that. Yeah. And follow the letter of the law. And then we have another question. Well, we're going to have to, we have to look. Table, where's the table of contents of this thing? We've got we to look that thing up. Can I remind you of the prophecy hundreds and hundreds of years ago by Jeremiah where he said, there's a new day coming. And in this new day, there's a new covenant. And you know what this new covenant represents? It represents something that's going to be deposited in the hearts of people. So in this new day, you will not need chapter and verse to tell you how to treat people. You will not need chapter and verse to, to tell you how to live this thing out. Why? Because it's in your heart. Jesus has transformed your life. And the way that he's treated you, treat other people. Any questions? It was an extraordinary day. See, the Ten Commandments in the Jewish law are not your commandments. They're not my commandments. Yours are better. And they're much more demanding. Because with great freedom comes great responsibility. Th those of you parents in here who've, who've had the blessing of having a 16 or 17-year-old child and you decided at, at some point to hand them the keys, right, to some beater that you bought that you don't mind them wrecking, right? You're not going hand to hand the keys to the Lexus, hopefully, but, but, but keys of some kind, right? And, 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 and you gave your own version of the speech with great freedom comes great responsibility, right? The more freedom you have, the more responsibility and expectation that we, that we have. And so this was, this was a new day. When you begin to view every single person you meet as a bearer of the image of God, Amen. then you will treat them well, and you will not need chapter and verse to tell you what to do because your whole perspective has been transformed. Paul wasn't teaching the new do's and don'ts of the New Testament. There was no New Testament. This is so big for us. See, again, we don't understand this. When Paul was discipling the new believers in Antioch, there was no Bible. He didn't give them the Old Testament. They're not Jews. They would have no concept of what that even means or what that even is. And he didn't hand them the, you know, the, the, little, you know, the little thin Bible, like New Testaments that we give out to new believers, right? That would have been awesome if Paul could have done that in Antioch. Hey, guess what? The New Testament hadn't been written yet. So what did he give them? He gave them this. Hey, guys. My life's been transformed. I, I, was, I was wayward. And I was on this other track. And I, and I have so much regret because I actually murdered people. 
and I felt justified by it, just like David did when he was spouting out how to kill all my enemies. That's what Paul was doing. He was living out the Old Testament, kill my enemies. And he's like, I realized that I was wrong 20 years after the resurrection. Guys, my life has been transformed and I have tons of regrets, but Jesus has washed me clean and he can do the same thing for you. And now that he is done, it's a new way. And this new way is not trying to figure out how to abide by the rules. This new way is Jesus has transformed your life. And so out of that transformation, You give your whole life to God and as you go and as you live and as you interact, you treat others in that same way. It's not complicated. It's freeing and it's life-giving and it transforms us on the inside. And so James was saying, listen, go up to those Antioch people and tell them, I want unity in the church. I don't want division. We're not going to have the, you know, the, this group of people over here that's like, okay, maybe you don't have to do all that stuff, but there's no way we're eating pork, and there's no way we're eating, you know, uh, uh, you know, all this stuff, and this is our code of conduct, and then you have this other free church over here, and they're just like, well, we're just going to do whatever. I want one church, Amen. and we're going to focus on one thing, Jesus and him crucified. This is Paul said, listen, I don't preach anything, but Jesus and him crucified. This is the deal. It's the main thing. And that's what we're coming around. I want one church. He pointed people to Jesus. Unfortunately, um, we're hardwired for rules, aren't we? I mean, I'm a, I'm a bit of a free spirit. I got that from my mom. But, uh, but even myself, I mean, we're, we're, hard, we're hardwired for rules. And we, deep inside, we just believe that like, we gotta attach rules to this thing. There has to be rules. Otherwise, otherwise, we don't feel safe because like, well, then we're just going to let people do whatever they want. We, we have a tendency to make Paul's New Testament teaching our new commandments. So, okay, okay, I get it. Paul, I get it. James, Peter, you had a vision? Like, okay. So, so what you're saying is, I got to move away from the Ten Commandments. What you're saying is, I got to move away from the 600 laws of Moses, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to cut the umbilical cord. I'm going to move on. Okay. So, so where are my new commandments? And, and where are they written down so I can make sure that not only I abide by them, but I hold other people to that same standard and I hit them with it. This is what we like to do. How can I measure myself against other people? So here's me, clearly. So where are these people? And there's, right? And I would never tell them that, like I'm smarter than that, but... 
But I need to know, because this is important to me, and it's going to make me feel good. And it's just, that's just how God works, right? Like he's a rewarder of those, like that whole thing. So there's got to be a system somewhere. And so Moses is out and Paul is in. Yes, this new commandment. I got it. I finally got my arms around it. The Old Testament's gone. The New Testament's in. And it's basically the same thing. We just have a new name for it. They're new commandments. And there is, t- there is churches everywhere that hit people with the, the New Testament just like people got hit with the Old Testament. These are the new rules. And this is what you must do. Oh, by the way, in in that scenario, we don't really need the Holy Spirit. Okay, maybe we need the Holy Spirit for power. Okay, Holy Spirit, you're for power. But as it relates to like leading and guiding us and, and convicting us about certain things, we have rules, you know? And it's like, so if I want to know how you're supposed to do something, then I can just look up into the table of contents. So Holy Spirit, not needed. I hope I'm messing with some of us. When Paul taught Antioch, he didn't have an Old Testament and the New Testament hadn't been birthed yet. What did they do? The New Testament church transformed the world and single-handedly took down the Roman Empire without the Bible. What did they have? What did they have? They had Jesus. And they had the Holy Spirit. And they had a mandate from on high Love God and love people. Any questions? Now we're like, okay, so Shane, this is like borderline hypocrisy because you're kind of going hard on anti-Bible here. Listen, I believe in the Word of God so wholeheartedly. I don't believe that any church should not find its center in the Word of God. Listen, I read this thing habitually. I'm going to teach my kids to read it and find our place and our center in it. But if we don't know how to use it and if we don't know how to read it, then this thing becomes a weapon against you, against your faith, and against others because we're making it something that it's not. Let me read you another scripture, just to mess with you. John chapter 14, verse 21. This is Jesus talking. Those who truly love me are those who obey my commandments. Those who truly love me. Can I tell you how how this verse is often translated to benefit the religious? Next slide. If you strictly follow God's commands, it means you love God. Awesome. 
that makes me feel horrible. And that I definitely don't love God. Tell me in your life, are there any relationships that you have or have had in the past where you can apply this principle to and it works? If you strictly follow the commands and expectations of the relationship, it produces love. Marriage, husband, wife, how does that work for you? It's called Old Testament thinking. Let me suggest something else. Next slide. My commands can only be accessed through love. When my love is in you and you love me in return, the natural response is inner transformation. See, what Jesus was saying is, listen, when the love of God is in you, those that, that, that have the love of God in them, the natural response is they're going to obey the commands. You know what the commands are? Love God and love people. So those, those disciples in Antioch, they have experienced the love of God. And you know what the byproduct's going to be? Treat others like I've been treated. See other people and elevate the status of others because of the image of God in every single one of them. The natural response is inner transformation. So all may come and experience this new radical transformation. The Word of God, it's living and active, and God uses it to speak to you. We put our life on this, and yeah, there are Paul and Peter and John and, 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 and Matthew and Luke. They have incredible New Testament things to say about how you should live your life, but they're not rules to hit people with. They are all reinforcing the same exact thing. Listen, if Jesus has transformed your life, then here's what it looks like for you to treat other people. Love them as Christ has loved you. And if you look at every imperative and every value in the New Testament, that is the bottom line of what it teaches. Treat others as you've been treated. And then God... Love him with all of your heart. Take away the idols and the things that, 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 that infect your heart and keep you from God. Love him with all of your heart and the byproduct is going to be a life that's free to love him in return. Amen. Listen. This final scripture, where did it go? John chapter 5. Verse 39 says this. This is Jesus talking. You search the scriptures because you think that they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me and receive his life. I'm going to land the plane on Jesus. Always and only Jesus. Jesus uses this book. 
to massage in us the life-giving relationship with him. And as you navigate your life, there's going to be times when the Holy Spirit goes, that's not helpful. The way that you treat that person, what you said, what you held in your heart, that's hurting you and it's hurting them. And it grieves the heart of God. And if you look in the New Testament, there's a lot to be said about that. But the goal is to love Jesus with all your heart and elevate the status of others so that they might see him too. And so if your relationship with God is wrapped up in, I gotta get to know this thing and I gotta do what it says because I gotta get back on this merry-go-round and I gotta get you know, in, in good right standing, then you're missing the entire point and the same thing that they did in Jesus' time. It's about Jesus, our relationship with him. And so Paul was pointing everything back to it's about Jesus, connecting with him, communing with him, and use the word of God to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. But at the end of the day, Paul saw a revival in Antioch. And all he had was Jesus. Jesus. So the church was born. Fueled by a message of the resurrection, marked by unprecedented diversity with a code of conduct that elevated the status of those who had no status and reduced everyone to a sinner in need of a Savior. This is the new and living way that we get to fall in love with. And so I think I want to end with just by saying this, as it relates to the next, this next generation, as we train up, I mean, we've got young people in there that are every week training up, learning to, to learn, what does this faith look like? What does this way look like? May we not be people who are going, you know what, we're trying to search the scriptures to find life and miss the entire point. It is about Jesus, our relationship with him, our walk with him, his love in our lives flowing through our lives. And next week, we're going to hear about this incredible, transformational, life-giving book of the Old Testament and how to view it through the redemptive lens of the cross so that we can take this book and arm ourselves and pass it on to the next generation and say, listen, may this be a tool in your life to fan into flame your relationship with Christ. Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you for what you're doing at Heart Church. I thank you for the way that you've painted this picture of this revival in Antioch and how you're calling us to this same passionate lifestyle. A lifestyle that's not connected to the do's and don'ts and rules and regulations, but is connected to the heart of Jesus and his life flowing through us to others. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen Amen. and amen.